Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. This is the episode for December 4th, 2022. And this week I'm going to be uh, focusing my attention on two pieces of legislation that were introduced uh, recently in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And these pieces of provincial legislation, uh, somewhat ironically given their content, have uh, issues which I think are national in scope. They've been in the news nationally and uh, so I wanted to talk about them uh, today with you and just discuss some of the legal elements of them. They're both uh, pieces of legislation that uh, talk about the division of powers between the federal government and the provincial governments and in both cases the provinces, Alberta and Saskatchewan, are asserting through provincial legislation their own uh, sovereignty, their own uh, priority or standing within uh, the Federation, within Canada. So I wanted to uh, give you my views on those. Uh, there's been lots of media attention on these, uh, some legal analysis, uh, but uh, I don't think uh, you'll get exactly what I'm going to be talking about today from any other source, not exactly what I've, uh, not from what I've seen anyway. So I hope you'll uh, enjoy that. Uh, before I talk about that, I'll just a little quick uh, recap of uh, the week that was. Uh, I was uh, busy this week. I was on a couple of radio programs. First, uh, I was on uh, 630 CHED uh, CHED in Edmonton on Monday talking about the uh, Emergencies Act inquiry that wrapped up the f a week ago, um, week ago Friday, I guess, and... Uh, with the testimony of the Prime Minister and what I was talking about there in the, with uh, the morning crew with Daryl there was uh, just how the jurisdiction, I guess the, you know, the, the legal elements of, of that and how, uh, how I think Judge Rouleau, Justice Rouleau, sorry, is going to take a wider scope into what could be qualified as an emergency. Uh, there was some debate as to whether there was a more narrow definition, a narrow definition under the CSIS Act, which the judge would have to follow. I think he's going to go for the broader uh, definition that the government was, uh, was advocating, although they didn't, uh, they didn't quite get to disclosing what legal advice they'd been given, but, given, but listening to the Prime Minister's testimony, one could kind of see uh, what advice uh, the government had been given by sort of reading between the lines in his testimony. Uh, so that was interesting. Then I was also on uh, City News Ottawa uh, with Rob Snow on uh, Wednesday talking about just comparing the Mass Casualty Commission inquiry in Nova Scotia to the Emergencies Act inquiry and some of, some of the things I think the Emergencies Act inquiry uh, got right that the Mass Casualty Commission didn't. Um, a lot of it had to do with timeliness but also with examining witnesses. So Consider in the Emergencies Act inquiry, the Prime Minister of the country was on the witness stand and was being cross-examined by different parties, uh, including the convoy lawyer, uh, Civil Liberties Association lawyer. And compare that to the Mass Casualty Commission where most of the key witnesses uh, did not face cross-examination. And so uh, some distinctions there. So want to uh, check out some of those interviews uh, I'm sure they're online there and uh, you get some of my thoughts or you can refer back to previous versions of the Rogers brief so normally in these weekly videos I'll cover a range of 
you know, four or five, six stories that are in the news. This week, I want to focus because there's, I mean, there, I'm going to focus basically on one story, but there's three elements to it. All right, there's the Alberta legislation, which is uh, called the Alberta Sovereignty. Well, I'll read it here. It's right here. <laughs> the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. And it is Bill 1 from the Alberta Legislature under uh, new Premier Danielle Smith. And the other is the uh, Saskatchewan legislation, which is Bill 88 in their legislature under Premier Scott Moe. And it is an act to assert Saskatchewan's exclusive legislation jurisdiction and to confirm the autonomy of Saskatchewan. So uh, it's a mouthful, certainly, uh, as a title. The third part I'm going to analyze is a uh, 2021 Supreme Court of Canada decision, which I think in a sense certainly prompted the Saskatchewan legislation, uh, probably also had an impact on Alberta's decision to bring forward their own legislation on this regard. in this regard. And that was a uh, decision on carbon pricing that the Supreme Court of Canada was asked to make, and they did and in favor of the federal government on a 6-3 uh, split decision. So... I'll talk about all of those three things. So, um, just a uh, just a, before I get into that, a reminder or a note that I'll be on the uh, nighttime podcast tonight with Jordan Bonaparte and Paul Palango, uh, and that is at a quarter after nine Atlantic time, and we go live on YouTube. So you can go to nighttime podcasts on YouTube. Just do a search for that, and you'll find. Uh, the links for that, so you can watch live, and then in a few days' time, he posts it also as a, a video and a, a podcast link, so you can uh, listen in on that. We'll be talking about the latest developments in the Mass Casualty Commission inquiry, which wrapped up hearings in September, and yet there are still uh, new uh, new details being released every week. There were some new uh, exhibits uh, posted to the Mass Casualty Commission website this week, and then there was some... A couple of articles in the news about the helicopter situation. For people that wouldn't be familiar with that, or uh, just a reminder for those that are, that during the early moments of the mass casualty events, the RCMP was looking for a helicopter to get into the area with infrared uh, heat sensing uh, capabilities to find the killer in the woods because it was a wooded area in a rural area in Nova Scotia. The RCMP helicopter was down and was uh, out for repairs, which was known, but there was no backup plan. They tried to uh, call the military, who weren't that far away, and they had, they had a helicopter with the capabilities. Military, uh, figuratively and actually literally, told them to go pound sand, I think, from the news reports. Uh, and... Um, so they weren't able to use the helicopter. There was no other backup in place. They ended up having a natural resources helicopter in the morning, but it turned out not to be a really of any help. So uh, we'll talk about those uh, new developments, a couple of other things that came along uh, tonight at quarter after nine Atlantic time. So join us, uh, join us there on uh, the nighttime podcast. Okay, so the news this week, and this has been getting lots of, I think, uh, overheated elevated rhetoric attached to these uh, two pieces of legislation in Alberta and Saskatchewan so let's go through them first and then I'll talk about some of the commentary that's been out there okay so it's bill one first of all maybe that's uh, 
it's the maybe the first thing to think about and an important thing to note because this is the first piece of legislation that Danielle Smith, in her role as premier, is uh, is introducing to the legislature, and I think there's a purpose behind that too, is to set a tone for relations between Alberta and the federal government. Okay, so. Uh, it's called, again, Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. And the real, I mean, the, they're making a statement that they're going to push the federal government on all, uh, all things where they think the federal government is interfering in provincial jurisdiction. Okay? So, um, and they authorize, the bill authorizes the legislature to spend money on studies so if they feel like the federal government is infringing on provincial jurisdiction, on environmental issues, or, or anything else, but it seems to be mainly directed at natural resource uh, developments, uh, you know, the economics behind all of that, and environmental regulations uh, and laws that are coming down from the federal government that would affect or interfere in their minds with uh, those natural resource developments. Okay, so preamble is kind of interesting. The first sentence is, whereas Albertans possess a unique culture and shared identity within Canada. Well, that's probably true. You could say that about any province, I guess, and that's part of the idea of federalism, that each province has its own identity and unique culture. Note that they didn't use, you say, oh, they're just, they're pretending they're like Quebec. Well, not exactly. They're not claiming to be a nation, quote unquote. A nation is something that is, uh, you know, has, the Quebecois are a nation. Uh, Albertans are not a nation, but they are, a, they have a unique culture and a shared identity. Okay, so that's fine. Uh, a few whereases later, it says, whereas actions taken by the Parliament of Canada and the government of Canada have infringed on the sovereign provincial rights and powers with increasing frequency and have unfairly prejudiced Albertans. Well, okay, so nobody's asking anybody to prove that things are happening on a, an increasing frequency, but this is the claim that the provincial government is making. And then the next section is part it says, actions taken by the Parliament of Canada and the government, federal government of Canada have infringed on the rights and freedoms of Albertans enshrined in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in an unjustified and unconstitutional manner. So basically what they're saying is the federal government is infringing on provincial jurisdiction, and so they're using this legislation as a means to fight back and push back and assert their provincial jurisdiction. So what does it mean? You know, it says in the... Canadian Constitution, in sections 91 and 92 of the Constitution, there's a list of things which are provincial jurisdiction, like health care, like natural resources, um, you know, like uh, the structure of the criminal justice system. Lots of things which are uh, provincial jurisdiction, um, you know, community services, provincial taxation, uh, all of those things. And then there's other th jurisdiction, jurisdictional items which are federal. I'm going to get into that a little more when I talk about the Supreme Court of Canada decision, but there's a list in both cases of which ones are provincial and which ones are federal. But when something is not listed, then by default it, uh, 
it typically becomes the federal government's uh, jurisdiction. Not exactly, but we'll, we'll get to that too. And of course, there's some issues like environment, like criminal justice, like health, where there's some federal elements and some provincial elements to, uh, to the jurisdictional question. Okay, so what is Alberta trying to say here? Well, they say right away in Section 2, nothing in this act is to be construed as authorizing any order which that would be contrary to the Constitution of Canada. So what they're explicitly saying they're not doing is a, trying to unilaterally change the Constitution of Canada by claiming federal powers. So they're not saying, hey, we, we are now just declaring that we're now in charge of immigration for, uh, for the province of Alberta. Uh, that's not the, uh, not the claim they're making. So they're not, they're not saying anything that isn't effectively already part of the law of the country uh, through the Constitution. But what they do do is in uh, sections three and four is allow for if the cabinet of Alberta feels that some something has been done by the federal government to infringe on provincial jurisdiction, then uh, they say if on a motion of a member of the executive council, which is the cabinet, the Legislative Assembly approves a resolution that, in Section B, states that in the opinion of the Legislative Assembly, a federal initiative is unconstitutional on the basis that it intrudes into an area of provincial jurisdiction. Okay, so what would happen then in practical terms is the legislature of Alberta could say, hey, you know, this new environmental legislation that the federal government is bringing in infringes on Alberta legislation and on Alberta provincial jurisdiction and uh, they can pass a motion to say that they feel it is unconstitutional. They have to not only say that they feel it's unconstitutional, but also setting out the harm that would result from that. And then also in Section 3, they say, identify a measure or measures that the Lieutenant Governor and Council should consider taking in respect of the federal initiative. Okay, so if all those things are done, then the Lieutenant Governor and Council, which is the Cabinet, can take the actions described in Section 4. And Section 4 says that they could suspend or modify the application or operation of all or part of an enactment, so ignore the federal enactment, or specify or set out provisions in addition to or instead of any provision in an enactment. So they can change legislation uh, without going back to the legislature to do so in the normal course of events, first, second, third reading, it passes the legislature and you have a new law. Well, in this case, they're saying the minister responsible for whatever the area of jurisdiction is could set out uh, and change uh, the legislation, the regulations. Uh, and they can issue directives to provincial entities as well. Now, whenever that is done, Section 5 says that the, uh, the authority, the order that is made under that uh, system would cease to have any effect after uh, two years' time. So there's a, a two-year window on this, similar in a sense to the, the five-year window that is used in the notwithstanding clause. If, uh, if any provincial legislature passes something and utilizes the notwithstanding clause, that is, uh, has to be reenacted every five years. In this case, it would have to be reenacted every two years. Okay, so 
to me, when I read this uh, and I see there's lots of people saying, well, this is, you know, they're going to break up the country. They're looking at starting a fight and all this. Things. Well, they're certainly looking to start a fight, but it's, I don't think there's the need for the, the elevated, escalated rhetoric that I've seen out there. You know, the, you know, the, there's some issues about, all right, well, if they feel that the environmental legislation from the federal government is infringing on their provincial rights, they could uh, fund a study into that, uh, come back with, okay, the study's concluded that these are the infringements, uh, they could have a legal opinion that backs that up, and then take that report back to the federal government and say, listen, we, this is what we think, uh, that you're infringing on our right, can we talk about it? Or uh, they would take the federal government to court if they disagreed and use whatever report they had drafted as the basis of their claim uh, for judicial review uh, in court. So really all of this, this legislation is is a statement of saying, this is, you know, we think we, we want people to respect the provincial jurisdiction. And if they don't, we're going to do reports, take study, take action, and, uh, you know, potentially amend legislation or order provincial employees not to enforce federal rules if uh, that's the expectation. Uh, certainly that could be the case in criminal justice issues because, the federal government sets criminal laws, but it's the provincial government which organizes the courts and does uh, enforcement, has control over the police. So there could be some uh, disputes in that area, depending on what the legislation was that, that was brought in. There was a, an issue that came up as well. I saw this week with uh, some commentary that, you know, this is going to take away democratic uh, accountability and effectively make the cabinet into like a, a king or queen like sovereign but i don't see uh, i mean i could see that concern because one of the powers in section four is that they'd be able to uh, enact legislation or amend legislation if that was seen to be the way to uh, ward off the federal intrusion but any such amendments to legislation or whatever are going to have to be reflective of whatever the motion was that was passed by the legislature. So um, if the legislature passed a motion that says there's federal infringement and this is what we think we need to do, and then the minister went off and did something completely different, well then somebody could apply for judicial review and have that whatever was done by the minister in, in, you know, in violation of what the guidance from the legislature was, that could be struck down. Of course, these things take time, and so there's some effects of having, you know, improper laws on the books for even a, a short length of time, but I don't see it as being equivalent to, you know, all of a sudden we've got a, a dictator system in Alberta. I, like, that's the completely overblown rhetoric and unnecessary. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Saskatchewan now, because the Saskatchewan legislation is actually quite similar. It hasn't gotten quite the attention as the Alberta legislation has outside of Saskatchewan. Uh, it's Bill 88 and not Bill 1, so it's not a, an introductory piece of legislation in Saskatchewan in the sense that it is in Alberta, but it has many of the same elements. So in the Saskatchewan legislation, they also repeat this as where the government of Canada has unilaterally intruded. So that's a statement, not a, 
you know, it's, it's saying that they've already done this and that they're causing economic harm to Saskatchewan by doing so. And it says also that Saskatchewan resolves to never be less than an equal partner within Confederation again. Well, uh, they're not supposed to be junior partners in Confederation. There's provinces, there's the federal government each has their responsibilities. But uh, anyway, that's a statement of, I guess it's projecting how Saskatchewan feels they've been treated by the federal government. So there's three parts to the Saskatchewan legislation. Part one uh, gives... Um, gives the legislature of Saskatchewan exclusive jurisdiction over certain areas like the exploration of non-renewable natural resources, the development and management of non-renewable natural resources, the development and management of forestry, the uh, production of electrical energy, regulation of industries covered by provincial jurisdiction, including uh, environmental regulation. So effectively, I think they're trying to exclude the federal government from environmental regulation on anything that is provincial jurisdiction. We'll come back to that. And the regulation of uh, fertilizer, because uh, farming is important in Saskatchewan, and so they feel they should be the only ones that are regulating how fertilizer is uh, utilized on their soil. The second part just uh, does some amendments to the Saskatchewan Constitution that sort of result from these earlier declarations. And then the third part creates an economic impact assessment tribunal. Now, Alberta did not do this in their legislation. I think that might have been wise to do so and follow Saskatchewan's uh, example here because it seems to me what Saskatchewan is trying to do is create something uh, similar to the Utility and Review Board that we have in Nova Scotia that is a nonpartisan quasi-judicial administrative body that, you know, hears evidence and makes decisions that can be respected but that can be appealed within the regular court system. In Alberta's case, they're simply authorized to have reports done, provide those reports back to the legislature. I don't think those reports would have the same weight as a decision from the Economic Impact Assessment Tribunal. Now, like I say, this is like the UARB, uh, it's, and the members would be appointed by provincial cabinet, so some of it would depend on how respected the members were who were appointed. If they were just partisans, well, it's going to undermine the credibility of the tribunal. But if there were, you know, uh, nonpartisan uh, judicial or semi-judicial uh, individuals, then I think they would have uh, the respect and authority that would come with that kind of an appointment. Now, the powers of uh, these members appointed to the tribunal are uh, the same as the powers of a commissioner of inquiry. So that was interesting. So they would be able to compel evidence uh, and, you know, force uh, witnesses, not force, uh, subpoena witnesses and have them come in and testify. So they'd have pretty good evidence and then they would be able to use that in a decision which they could then use to negotiate with the federal government or, again, uh, take the federal government to court if they feel that they've been infringed upon in their jurisdiction. The question I would have in this is whether the federal government would feel the obligation uh, or the strategic need to participate in uh, these tribunals. Certainly the federal government, if uh, the question is whether the federal intrusion into provincial jurisdiction is taking place and causes harm, 
it would seem important to have the federal government cooperate and participate. Whether they would agree to do so is uh, a question they would have to answer. I think if they found out that, you know, these decisions are going to be respected, that they would want to participate, although simply by not participating, the federal government could in effect undermine that tribunal by, you know, all right, well, they're not getting the best evidence because the feds aren't, uh, aren't there at the table. So we'll see how those unfold. Slightly different approaches, but in both cases, um, you know, an effort to push back and assert provincial jurisdiction. But here's, the, here's what I'm coming around to with the uh, Supreme Court of Canada case, and this was um, the References Re Greenhouse Gas Pollution Pricing Act, and the neutral citation for any lawyers listening is 2001 SCC 11. Now, uh, this was a question about whether the federal legislation on uh, carbon pricing was going to be uh, allowed. There had been three cases which had reached appeal courts, one in Saskatchewan, one in Ontario, and one in Alberta. Saskatchewan and Ontario, the courts of appeal there, found that the acts were constitutional. In Alberta, they said they were unconstitutional. So therefore, it all was elevated up to the Supreme Court of Canada, who decided on a six to three basis uh, that the legislation, the various pieces of legislation, were constitutional. So it's a really good decision to read through. I mean, if you're, by the way, anybody that's looking for a, a Supreme Court of Canada decision, if you go on their website, you'll see that uh, the, the decision will have a head note listing all of the parties. And this one, there were like 50 participants. I mean, the three provinces, the federal government, but then there were many interveners. There were close to 50 of them. Although not the province of Nova Scotia, which is interesting. Now, if anybody's following the news out of Nova Scotia and the controversy lately around carbon pricing here and that issue, uh, Nova Scotia did not participate in this appeal back, this is previous government now, pr previous provincial government in Nova Scotia, did not participate in the appeal uh, at the Supreme Court of Canada on carbon pricing. So... Uh, didn't have an opinion perhaps one way or the other as to whether the legislation was constitutional or interfered in provincial jurisdiction as the claim is now being made. Anyway, so uh, the decision, uh, so when you get a decision, you see all the parties and then you'll have a short version of the decision, just a few pages. You can get the high point, the highlights, the, the main points, and then uh, you get a, a sense of the dissents. In this case, there were three different dissents from three different judges. And then you get to the long uh, decision after that, which, uh, you know, can be, I think it's probably 30 or 40 pages in this case, uh, can be longer. Uh, so a lot of people just like to read the summary at the beginning, um, depending on uh, what you're using the decision to do. Okay, so they talk about federalism, they talk about the division of powers, and uh, re reference sections 91 and 92 of the Constitution. So what the court says is that the Constitution gives broad powers to the provinces to ensure diversity across the country, but then the federal government powers are powers held which are better, uh, better exercised... Uh, in relation to the country as a whole. So federal issues, you know, military issues, uh, I guess some, you know, federal taxation issues, international relations, 
uh, things that cross border and have national aspects. Criminal justice, uh, although, like I said, the administration of criminal justice is done by the province, but it's the federal government that sets out what's in the criminal code. Uh, immigration is done uh, federally, those sorts of things. So, but there's a, an important sort of caveat to all of that, which is if something is not enumerated in the two sections, section 91 and 92, then it goes to, usually goes to the federal government. Well, if it has, if it's national in scope. So if things aren't covered specifically, then you look to the peace, order, and good government clause in the introduction to uh, section 91. Uh, so any matters that aren't covered, and if they're essential for the peace, order, and good government, uh, POG, as uh, lawyers would shorten it, uh, then that goes. that's a federal government responsibility. So how does the court decide uh, whether something is federal or provincial jurisdiction? Okay, there's a two-stage approach. First is you look at the legislation itself and you look to what are the purpose, purposes and effects of the legislation. The pith and substance, as uh, would be the, the legal phrase for that. So the purpose can be the stated purpose, or uh, the effective purpose, and the, ef the effects can be the legal effects and then the practical effects, which can sometimes be different. All right, so that's the first step. You look at what, are the, what is the purpose and effects of the legislation. The second stage is to classify it as either provincial or federal. Okay, so you try to, in stage one, uh, specify things as precisely as possible, uh, just so, you know, Sometimes legislation can be vaguely worded or it may seem like it's talking about one thing. Uh, often you look at the title of a piece of legislation and it seems to be saying something, but in effect it does something else. So you have to really uh, specify as precisely as you can what is the purpose and effect of the legislation. All right. Second stage is you classify it. Okay, so if it is enumerated in one of the listed sections in section 91 or 92, well that's easy, you just said it's all right, it's provincial or federal. Now in cases like health, the environment, uh, criminal justice, others where there's some provincial jurisdiction and some federal jurisdiction, in other words there's a double aspect to the legislation, you try to figure out, all right, can these coexist with one another and operate together? And if not, if there's a direct conflict in those cases, then it's the federal government legislation which uh, is paramount. So when Saskatchewan says they're not going to be they're less than an equal partner, they can't overcome that uh, doctrine of paramountcy. If they have something that is directly conflicting with federal legislation, the federal legislation is going to be paramount. Okay, second part is, it has to be, if it's not enumerated in the Constitution, but it's something new or something that's developed into something, and it has a national aspect, matters which transcend the provinces. So, uh, in this case, with the carbon pricing, the court sided with the federal government, says yes, uh, while each province may be able to tailor its own uh, strategies and pricing model to price carbon in order to have an effect on the environment you need it needs to be national in scope 
because if one province isn't part of it, that can undermine the whole project. So uh, that's how the, I mean, they said a lot more than that. It was a long decision, but that was essentially how the Supreme Court of Canada decided in that case. So when you bring it back to the, the two pieces of legislation that have been introduced, the Alberta sovereignty legislation and the Saskatchewan first legislation, well, all they're saying in those cases is that if it's provincial jurisdiction, we're going to assert that provincial jurisdiction. And if it's not, then, uh, you know, if, if the federal government is interfering with us, uh, then we're going to push back. And um, essentially that's what they could have done anyway under the uh, Constitution as it stands. So in both cases, while it sort of organizes Saskatchewan and Alberta to, uh, to fight back against the federal government and sends a signal to the federal government that, uh, you know, anything you do, we're going to be watching very closely. It doesn't change anything about that, what's in the Constitution. Any battle that could have been fought, I mean, it was fought with this decision in, uh, in the Supreme Court of Canada. Nothing about their arguments in the carbon pricing uh, reference to the Supreme Court of Canada would be different now that they have these new pieces of legislation. So uh, I guess I would say that uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't a great deal of uh, substance, legal substance to these two pieces of legislation, but I'm sure they will have uh, an effect in a practical sense because the provincial governments are going to be really pushing back. So. Uh, that's what I wanted to say about those uh, the, uh, about federalism, about provincial federal relations, about the two, two pieces of legislation that have been introduced. And I uh, hope you found that interesting. I'd invite your feedback on this. Uh, I hope you like and uh, subscribe. The, like the video. Uh, that helps uh, circulate it more among uh, YouTube users. And if you uh, care to share, uh, that would also help as well. Uh, grow the audience and uh, hopefully bring more of these uh, videos and insights to you in the future. Okay, so uh, thanks again to everyone for watching. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.